Good morning, everyone. This is Conversations with Terry Law and Scott Law, our podcast. I'm Scott Law. And I'm Terry Law. And we, the dynamic duo, are here today. Mm. We're going to throw it back a little bit and talk about more challenging times in your early ministry in the early 70s mm-hmm. um, when you had started uh, Living Sound on the campus of ORU and we're trying to get over to Africa. Dad, why don't you start right. sharing? Uh, when I first uh, left Alberta and came down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I began to attend Oral Roberts University in the spring semester of 1968. Uh, I had met a young man named Larry Dalton who played organ in the Oral Roberts Crusades. I'd met him in Edmonton, and he had challenged me to uh, think, at least think about coming to Oral Roberts University as uh, to further my own education, and I had responded to him with a call from God in Oral's Crusade that night when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said he was going to send me to that school. So now we pick up the story with me at Oral Roberts University, it's uh, 1968, spring semester. I came in around January, somewhere in the middle of January. First person I looked up when I got to ORU was Larry Dalton. Larry and I began to talk, and we began to dream. And as we talked and dreamed, we had a common vision between the two of us, and that was to use gospel music as a tool for the gospel in speaking the message of Jesus and the story of salvation in in the mission field. That was really the distinct vision we had. And I remember as we gathered in one of the classrooms at ORU and began to rehearse and practice, several of the uh, students at ORU who had music scholarships had uh, decided to leave ORU and join Larry and me in my mission. This obviously did not make Oral Roberts very happy, but uh, it was something that God had put in my heart and stirred deeply. Our, our first concert as students at ORU was an invitation to sing at a charismatic Baptist church in Kansas City. Uh, Honeybee Powell, uh, later Honeybee Anderson, uh, was, her father was the pastor in the church, and he invited us to come. And uh, so we had traveled, uh, oh, maybe five hours, six hours from Tulsa up north to Kansas City. Uh, we got lost on the trip. We ended up at the church two hours late for a Friday night concert. But what shocked us is that when we arrived, uh, the church was full of people. So we began our three-day meeting. One of the amazing things that happened that weekend is that we saw over 60 people make decisions for Christ, and it revolutionized the youth department in the church, and it gave us a sense of the call of God on our lives. That's neat, Dad. That's that, neat. That was uh, a major issue for us. And I remember on that weekend, on a Sunday morning, uh, the group had finished their concert and I was stepping up to the pulpit to speak and to bring a message from Scripture when a booming voice sounded out from the back of the building. And the man who spoke 
the words was a prophet. I did not know for 20 years who what his name was. Uh, his name was Bob Jones. He was quite well known in the prophetic movement. And when he spoke out at the church, he said, God is going to call you to the nations. At times you'll be people without a home, but God is going to raise you up as kings to conquer, and uh, you have a call on your life to missions. He spoke this out from the back of the church. And this was 1969? This was in nine, It was in 68 in the summer. Because you uh, came in 68. We, I came in 68. We formed the group in early 68. Okay. And then around about May, we did our first concert in Kansas City. So gotcha. that, that is the mid-time uh, in, uh, in April. When the call thundered out from the back, I think everyone in Living Sound realized that it was a call to us corporately as a group. We traveled home after our Sunday night service back to campus at Oral Roberts University. We gathered the next morning, and Larry and I told the team members of a dream we had of going to Africa as a missions team. And I mentioned the fact that the prophecy we'd heard over the weekend in Kansas City, I felt, was a direct word from God for us to begin to plan to travel to Africa. Well, that was a major step to take. We were 15, 16 young people. Um, we were there to gain an education at ORU. But here was a call from God prophetically given, and it galvanized our team. That summer, we traveled. We uh, put a schedule together, and we began to uh, itinerate across the United States and Canada. We had a goal of raising $18,000 for air tickets to get us to the nation of South Africa. I'd been there before and uh, was ready to come back. Well, we raised the money, and then in the fall, when we applied for visas to the South African government, uh, every door closed. Uh, the government in South Africa did not want American university students coming over there. They had a, a, an apartheid policy in the country, and they knew that America didn't like it, and they thought we were coming to cause political problems. That was not why we were going. We felt God had called us to go and preach the gospel. So anyway, we had some real struggles with getting visas. And I remember when finally the time came for us to depart out of New York City in the month of, of January uh, 1969, we flew from uh, America over to uh, Portugal. Uh, we were flying on TAP Airlines, Air Portuguese, and uh, the, uh, their plane was taking us to Rhodesia, South Africa, which today is known as Zimbabwe. We arrived in Zimbabwe. I remember the team being so excited. This was the dream that we had followed for 11 months, and here we are. We're about to land on African soil, and we were so excited. I remember walking down the plane into the hot, humid weather of uh, Africa. It was uh, early morning, and as I walked down the gangplank, I heard someone calling my name. And I looked, and there was a man dressed in an immigration suit for the Rhodesian government saying, Terry Law, Terry Law. And I walked over to him, and I said, my name is Terry Law. He looked at a paper, and he said, are these the young people in your group? And I looked at the names, and it was our group, Living Sound. 
And uh, I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm here under the authority of our government to tell you you are not welcome in Rhodesia, and we insist that you get back on the plane and go back home to America. Well, it's difficult to explain, Scott, to somebody when you've told these young people, this is God, you've heard a prophetic word, everything has come together, the money's there, and you've just blown $18,000 flying to Africa, and now Africa won't let you stay. Uh, they forced us back on the airplane. The final uh, leg of the trip on uh, Portuguese Airlines took us to the town of Baira, Mozambique. Now, I didn't know there was a place called Baira. And when we landed on the uh, Indian Ocean and uh, got off the airplane, um, it was a shock to our system. We had used all of our money. Our tickets were gone. We were told we were, there were going to deport us back to the USA. And for the next uh, 10, 12 days, we battled with God's call, wondering why we were called to Africa and suddenly being sent back home. It was total disgrace for me. It was a, a, an assault on my own ability to hear the word of God, and I felt very responsible for everyone else in the group, including my wife, Jan, she and I had been married a short time before, and here I was. I'd taken her into the middle of a bad call from God, and we were uh, just floundering in Africa. For the next several days, I tried to call home to America and uh, tried to find a way to stay on in Byra. But finally, after, oh, I guess maybe uh, 10, 11 days, I was informed by the immigration authorities in downtown Byra that we were being deported to the U.S. Now, it's difficult, and I probably am not going to be able to get this story on one podcast, so I'll at least start it today, and we'll maybe finish it uh, on the next program. But I remember getting on the airplane, being forced to get on the airplane. I remember one of the young guys in our group, Bo Moline, uh, who ended up being a very successful pastor, Bo walked up to me on the airplane and said, Terry, I don't know that I can ever trust God again as long as I live. We raised all that money. We itinerated. We told people we're going to Africa, and here we are going home in disgrace. Mm -hmm. We landed in New York City uh, a day and a half later, and I'll never forget the papers announced that it was the worst winter in 99 years. Temperatures were 20 below zero in the airport in uh, New York City when we landed at uh, JFK Airport. And I, <laughs> we had friends in Philadelphia. We called and said, we were sent home. We can't do our mission. Uh, we need someplace to stay for several days so we can gather up our, uh, our wits and figure out what to do and how to get every, send everybody home. So uh, we left from New York City. I remember standing outside of the airport, and there's my wife, Jan, newly married. Um, she's standing in a short sleeve cotton sundress. Uh, we've come from the heat of Africa, right on the equator in Africa, some brown skins from having been exposed to the ocean. Jan had a a great skin color. She she could tan beautifully. And uh, I remember looking at her in the dress and turning around and kicking a pile of snow with my foot. 
and saying, God, I don't know if I can ever trust you again. This is really shaking me to the core of my being. So we went to our friend's place. It was a Teen Challenge Center in Philadelphia. I remember when we arrived, uh, the director of the Teen Challenge Center had been instructed by one of our friends who was on the board of Teen Challenge, and he uh, made an arrangement for us to stay there. But the director of the Teen Challenge didn't like the way we looked. Our guys had longer hair. Uh, He looked at our girls' skimpy dresses, and all he could say was, uh, I don't want you affecting the young drug addicts that are here at Teen Challenge receiving counseling. So anyway, Scott, it's hard to explain that next week. I was floundering. Our, Our team members were saying, my mother just called, and she wants us to come home. Why don't we just admit we made a mistake and uh, everybody go home and we'll forget it's just been a, a bad experience. But I, I was hanging on uh, desperately to somehow see what God was going to do. I remember on a Saturday morning, uh, we went to chapel. It was a demanded chapel appearance. Uh, we showed up. We had just been in America for four or five days. We were still in severe jet lag, but we had to be at chapel at 8 o'clock that morning. And uh, there was a friend, a man, who was uh, friends of the director, who was a pastor in Minneapolis. His name was uh, Reverend Rodney Whittle, W-H-I-T-T-L-E. I didn't know his name, but he was introduced to the crowd of drug addicts at the center as a man who had called from Minneapolis and said he felt God was calling him to Philadelphia, and he was there on a special mission. Well, uh, we sat at the back. Uh, We were all just uh, totally groaning and moaning and upset with God, and uh, this guy gets up to talk. And in the course of his conversation, he talked about struggling as a minister in a Minneapolis church and how God had somehow let all of his dreams fall by the wayside, and he found himself selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door and resigning a church. But then through that entire process, God got the man to a point where he was willing to follow God in a radical way. And so in the course of his preaching, Saturday, Sunday morning, or Saturday morning, excuse me, He talks about coming to the end of what he felt was God's call for him and being faced with uh, discouragement, uh, needing to renew his relationship with God, the Father, and all of this. And, And he began to speak prophetically to us and say, when you come to the end of yourself and you feel the will of God has forsaken you and you're doing something wrong, He said, it still doesn't mean that you didn't receive your call from God in the first place. I looked looked around. Jan was crying. Uh, Larry Dalton's eyes were brimming with tears, and I'm looking face-to-face in the 15, 16 of our young people. Our eyes are wide open. We're hearing something from God that we're not aware of. Well, when the man finished his message, I walked to the front. I said, who told you about us? He said, who are you? I said, my name is Terry Law. I'm with Living Sound. We've been returned from Africa in disgrace, and we're here in chapel this morning. And you've just described in your story what we've gone through in our story. Do you have something more to say to us? 
And he said, yes, I want to talk to your entire group. They took us into a side room, and uh, he began to counsel, find out who we were, why we were there. We went through the details, and uh, he sat in that room. Scott, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He grew very pensive and tentative. He was just sitting there and with his eyes closed and praying, and all of a sudden he opened his eyes and he pointed his finger at me. And he said, Terry Law, hear the word of the Lord. You are going to be in Africa in six days. You will be in Johannesburg, Jan Smuts Airport, Johannesburg. Get ready to go. God is not done with you. Yes, he's been silent, but he still has a plan for you bigger than anything you know. I looked at him and I couldn't believe it. I said, sir, we've run out of money. We've got no money to go back to Africa. It's another $18,000. And he said, you'll be there in a week. Well, Scott, two, three days later that week, I got a call from a, a pastor friend in California. And he said he had gone to an airline, TWA, and talked them into providing us tickets to go back to Africa and we could pay for them after we arrived in Africa. I, I couldn't believe that, first mm. off. Then uh, on Friday, I got a call from the State Department in Washington, D.C. They said the South African government had just called us, and your visas have been cleared. You are free to go back to Africa. And Scott, I'm sitting here looking at you <laughs> and telling you that on Saturday, we landed in Jan Smuts Airport, Johannesburg. We counted all the money we had in the world. It was about $83.60, total money for everybody. But we were there in God's timing. In six we, days. In six days we were there, and God had turned it all around. The Lord taught me a lesson. I preached a message after this for a whole year called The Silence of God, Why God is Silent. And I would say to those listening to us today, there are a lot of folk listening, and you've seen your dreams in life go up in smoke. You've seen so many things happen, and you think that God has forgotten you. But there's a reason sometimes why God is silent, and that is very simple. If God was not silent, where would we get the faith to believe God when he is silent? The silence is to create faith in us. And the entire struggle we had was God's going to school, <laughs> going to spiritual school with mm. the Holy Spirit mm. to understand the fact that we were in God's care and he had a mission for us in Africa and he was going to do something that would blow all of our minds. Well, when we landed in Jan Smuts, I, I can't even describe this. It was like a total dream. We had only been there for about two days, and uh, we met pastors who extended the warmth of their congregations to us. We found our equipment. It had all been sent ahead to Africa, and one of our young men was there with a vehicle to travel with the equipment, and we set up a schedule, and within a week, we were speaking in high schools all across uh, South Africa, outside of Johannesburg, and uh, we did an itinerary for the next year. And in the process of that year, we counseled somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000, mainly young people in South Africa who came to Jesus. And uh, you have seen on YouTube and uh, various places uh, that living sound music became famous in South Africa. We shook the entire nation. 
uh, we became messengers from God to the people, and God taught me a lesson in the middle of it all. And I remember, and we'll close this uh, uh, podcast with this story, and then we'll pick up the story from there. But uh, we had been in Africa for about, oh, probably six weeks, and we were singing in, in a church about 60 miles outside of Johannesburg in the little town of Springs. The church was built to seat maybe 400, but there were 650 people jammed in the building. I had, as I always did, I always prayed uh, out of the room. I'd go in the little choir room they had in the back, and I got on the floor with my Bible to get, get my heart ready to go out and preach. Something happened that changed the rest of my life. Jesus came in the room. I was kneeling on the floor, my Bible stretched out. I didn't dare look. I just, there was a light, a, a glory from God that shone in the room. And it, I heard a voice. It was like, it, it, it was like I heard it with my ears, but it seemed to be coming out of my chest and out of my heart. The Lord said, I'm going to send you to the closed nations of the earth. You're going to do things there that most men will believe impossible. But if you'll trust me and be obedient, I will protect you. I'm sending you to the nations. I trembled in the presence of the Lord, and when I heard the music end outside, I realized that I had to go out and address the audience. And I stood up to the mic, and I tried to talk. And I was dumbstruck for about five minutes. I tried to say words, and no words would come out. And my team was more curious than anybody else. They'd never seen me this way before. And then all of a sudden, it came out of my heart like a torrent. I said, I've just talked with the Lord in the back room. And he's given us living sound to call. We're called to the nations. We're called to the closed nations. And God is going to do things there for us, unlike anything we've seen. I had no idea knowing that we had been facing the silence of God in the struggle we'd had and being deported to America and now coming back. We were moving in an area of faith unlike anything that I knew or had seen in my own life. And so I announced it publicly. I said, we're going to close nations. Well, you should have seen the mouths of living sound on the front row. Their mouths were wide open after what we've come through. Mm. We're going to... and. The closed nations in those days was were the communist countries. Yeah, I was announcing we're going to the communist bloc nations, and uh, wow, that was the beginning of a, an action from God. And and I love to tell this story, Scott, because I found myself totally in the hands of the Lord. I was hearing God's voice. He had chosen to speak to me. He had chosen to show all of us that we were someone special in the kingdom, and it was the grace of God that had reached out to us, and the grace of God that it, all the way from the prophecy back in Kansas City yeah. over a year before, yeah. and the man of God saying, you're going to go to the nations, now here is the next step, and here is Jesus confirming it all. So when we finished that tour in Africa, we came back home to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to prepare to continue our ministry. I had been to the school of the Holy Ghost. Mm. That's where I'd been. And God had done something to me who 
and it has affected me for the rest of my life. Every place that we go, we go to close nations. We go to places that nobody else would go. We went to Russia. We went to uh, Poland. We went to closed nations like the Muslim world. And, and uh, the, the story is, is a, a fairy tale, but yet it's of the goodness of God. And uh, we're doing this podcast today because I believe that the grace that God has put into my life and that is coming through Scott and I talking on this podcast now, that grace is being extended to you. And I'm asking you, what is God's call for your life? What has God been wanting you to do that you haven't done yet? What dream has he put in your heart that somehow you've discarded or you thought because it didn't happen immediately that God didn't mean it? God means it. And he is going to use you. He is going to raise you up to do things that you never dreamed possible. And this podcast is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit has given Scott and I to to communicate with Christians across the United States and other parts of the world. God is not done working. Jesus is not here yet. He's coming soon, I believe that. But in the middle of it all, there's something good coming to you. That's what Oral Roberts used to say in opening his television shows. Something good is going to happen to you. And we're saying it again today. The hope that comes to us from the hope in God, the confident expectation of the goodness of God. Good things from God are coming to us. They're coming to me, to Scott, to you, and uh, we're so glad we can be a part of that process. God bless you today as you consider the good things that God's about to do in your life. Dad, thank you so much for sharing that story. I've heard it, again, probably hundreds, thousands of times. It never gets old. But I, I wanted to hit on one last point that you had, and you talked about this early. Um, there's those of you who had dreams and feel like they've been lost and they've, they cannot be achieved or attained. I want you to pray for those out there that feel a sense of despair, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despondency, where, where they felt like God started them on a path and they haven't gotten there. I'm going to turn this around, Scott. Why don't you pray? Why don't you ask God to do this? And I'll agree with you right now. Okay. So pray. Okay. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross for us, what that means. You gave us the hope of salvation. You gave us the hope of healing. And you brought us hope in something far beyond ourselves. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. We praise you, not for just all the things you've done, God, but really who you are, who you are in our lives. We're so grateful. Lord, those of us, those listening today who feel like you started something and you didn't finish it, that's not your character. You start and finish and complete all those things that you set about. And Lord, I thank you that in each of us, you've deposited hope. You've put a plan and a purpose. You've spun it out for each of us. You called us. You've given us each of us a purpose. And so many feel despondent. They feel challenged because they maybe there's been a roadblock. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe they've, their, their, their marriage is, is on the rocks. Maybe they made a bad choice and they're dealing with the consequences, Lord, you are bigger than all of that. You're not surprised. You don't say, wow, I didn't see that coming. God, you, you have a plan and a purpose, Mm -hmm. and you will complete it. Lord, I encourage each person today listening to grab on to hope, to believe, to hope against all else, and set that hope and that expectation in you, God. 
that you will finish what you have started, that the dream that was birthed in, in their souls will, will, will come forth and find fruition, it will find completion, and that you will get all the glory and honor and praise today. Lord, we, we ask all these things in your precious name. We lay them down before you, and we thank you for a good report. We thank you for a good outcome for those listening today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thanks for flipping that around and challenging me to do that, Dad. That was good. That was good. Well, thank you for listening today. Um, Hope you've enjoyed it. Grace and peace on you all, and uh, we will be talking to you guys soon. Take care. Thank you for listening today to the Conversations Podcast with Terry Law and Scott Law. We hope you enjoyed it. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Terry Law Speaks. Go to terrylawspeaks.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many of the other major podcast platforms. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we continue to share the love and grace of God with you and with those who've yet to hear.